Good day to you. This is Saturday, February 5th, 2022. I am Pastor Neil Wemus, and this is your daily scripture meditation. Uh, today, we are going to be in Job chapters 21 and to 23. And we, if we have time, we're going to read from the large catechism, which we did not read yesterday because there was so much in that reading from Luke. Um, so uh, we're going to get, so let's just jump into this reading. Uh, you can see it on the screen right there. So Job 21, it says, The Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words, and let this be your comfort. Bear with me, and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled. And lay your hand over your mouth when I remember I am dismayed, and shuddering seizes my flesh. Why do the, the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail, their cow calves does not miscare and cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace go they go down to shale. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pay pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in his anger, that they are like straw before the wind and like shaft that the storm carries away? You say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let him pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for their houses after them when the number of their mouths is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are in high? One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure. He is pails full of milk, and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust, and the worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked live? Have you not asked those who travel the roads? And do you not accept their testimony? That the evil man is spared in the day of calamity? That he is rescued in the day of wrath? Who declares his way to his face? And who repays him for what he has done? When he is carried to the grave, watch is kept over his tomb. The claws of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. I want to kind of pause for a moment. So if you remember in the last time we read, 
the friends of Job were were trying to make the, they go the what's known as the theology of glory route. That the reason why Job is doing is experiencing what he's experiencing, what he's suffering. They argue it's because Job um, was a sin for, sinner. He's got it. He's has, has to admit to his iniquity. But of course, we know that's not why it's all happening. We, if you've read through Job, you know that's not the reason. But that's what Job's friend is telling him. And Job's response is that the wicked experience pleasure. They exp experience joy. Those who rebel against God, hate God, have want nothing to do with him, are experiencing luxury and parties and tambourine and lyre and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. See, that's the thing. That's the theology of glory is disproved by that. That's what Job is highlighting. Is that the wicked have joyous days while those who are faithful suffer. So the wisdom the wisdom of Job's friend is not so wise as he thinks. Then Aliphaz, the, so chapter 22, verse 1, Then Aliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities, for you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you. Sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness, so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks in the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us. And what could the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things. But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, surely our adversaries are cut off. And what they left, the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to, to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torn bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will deli be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. 
chapter 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable. And who can turn, from, turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he'll complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. We'll pick up with this on Tuesday. But at this time, we're going to switch over to the large catechism. Um, so we're reading from our confessions for the day. And so where we finished off is right here on the sacrament. I think we might be repeating a little bit of what I read um, on Wednesday. Um, I can't quite remember where I left off because that's a few days ago. But... We're going to start here, and I think I kind of ended off in a weird spot as I looked at it. Anyways, uh, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was he was betrayed, took bread, and we give it thanks. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then we would have all together five whole parts of Christian doctrine. These should be taught constantly and be required learning for children. You should hear them recited word for word. You must not rely on the idea that the young people will learn and retain these things from the sermon alone. When these parts have been well learned, you may supplement and strengthen them by also setting before them some psalms or hymns which have been composed on those these parts of the catechism. Lead the young into the scriptures this way and make progress in them daily. So you're wondering, where is this whole thing? Um, in, con in confirmation, we do memory. This is Luther's idea that they are to learn word for word. And where does he get this idea? It comes from Deuteronomy. God himself commands it. They should speak it while they're lying down, when they're on the road, etc., etc. And note, the parts he's talking about memorizing is not the meanings. You know, the meaning of the first commandment, the meaning of the second commandment. Here, he's talking about specifically 
five major parts. The Ten Commandments in their entirety. And I'm going to talk about just the commandments. The Apostles' Creed. The Lord's Prayer. Matthew 28, 19. Mark 16, 16. Because those are the words on baptism. And now this, the words of institution. Those are the words that every single Christian should know by heart. Word for word. Now you may expand, and now he notes, he says, expand upon it after you got this, but focus on this first. However, it is not enough for them to understand and recite these parts according to the words alone. The young people also should also be made to attend the preaching, especially during the time that is devoted to the catechism. Then they may hear it explained and may learn to understand what every part contains, so that they can recite it the way they have heard it. Then, when asked, they may give a correct answer, so that the preaching may not be useless and fruitless. For the reason we exercise such diligence in preaching the catechism often is that it may be taught to our youth, not in a high and clever way, but briefly and with the greatest simplicity. In this way, it will enter the mind easily and be fixed in the memory. Therefore, we shall not take up the above-mentioned articles one by one, and in the plainest we shall now take up the above-mentioned articles one by one, and in the plainest manner possible, say as much as is necessary about them. So this is actually one of the reasons why I believe it's a good idea to do sermon series. Um, you know, probably the ideal time to do this would be your midweek Advent or Lent, or Lent is to preach through the Catechism. And some people will be well, I already went through Confirmation. I don't need to learn it. Yes, you do. Jesus didn't, you know, in Deuteronomy, God didn't say, um, you should say these words when you wake up and when you sleep, but only until you're 13 years old. And once you're 13 and confirmed, you could stop doing that. He doesn't say that. No, you're supposed to do that your whole life long. You need to be meditated on it all your life long. All right, so here we are. Part one, the first commandment in the large catechism. It says, you shall have no other gods. What this means you shall have me alone as your God. What is the meaning of this? And how is it to be understood? What does it mean to have a God? Or what is God? Answer, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing him with the heart. I have often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone Make both God and an idol. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Now I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. We're going to pick up on that on monday uh so let us end with prayer lord god make sure that our hearts and minds are set on you as god alone that we trust on you and not on other things or other people but on you and you above all 
we pray that you would guide us through this life to be faithful even unto the point of death even in the midst of trial and tribulation may we remain faithful in jesus name amen the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you be gracious unto you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace amen blessings on your weekend um, as it is the weekend, I encourage you to go find a place to go worship, to hear God's word, receive the Lord's Supper if possible. Um, if you're looking for a church, uh, St. Paul Luther Church, Ida Grove, that's where I serve at. Uh, we have worship on Saturday evenings at 6 o'clock, and we have worship on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, followed by time of fellowship and Bible study. So... Pray that you find those opportunities and blessings in your worship. In Jesus' name.